Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope you are all safe, staying at home, and healthy as we are moving through this uh, pandemic in our country and around the world. For that reason, I want to tell you I made a decision starting several shows ago to focus on COVID's impact on people with disabilities because, you know, I love all of you. Uh, I am very committed to people with disabilities. And if I am a way to get news out, I'm going to make sure I get that news out. Before we start, though, I want to thank... Uh, our sponsors, Highmark, has been our lead sponsor now for four years. And we had a new sponsor uh, that is also a major sponsor this year, People's, People's Natural Gas, uh, Wells Fargo, Employment Options. What great companies are these supporting this show? Uh, helping me make a difference in the lives of others and around the world. Um, thank you. We have all these countries listening to the show. And the second largest, other than, of course, the United States, is China. And I just want to tell you, I think about all of you people with disabilities in China and what you've been through with this crisis. And I really appreciate you and Finland and uh, all these other countries for following us because you too can make a difference in your own country where you are living today. Hey, Yoshiko Dart, special shout out to you. Thinking about you today when I talked uh, via email to your good friend, uh, Senator Harkin. So I hope you're having a, a great day. And finally, a special shout out to my two great friends, Gang Young and Richard Roberts, who are diplomats in South Korea and in Japan, specifically Richard's in Okinawa, working so hard to help people with disabilities move forward. So I have to tell you, I am very excited about the show today. I really am because I admire our guests so much, but I could not think of, wow, a better person to speak to the deaf community than the CEO of the National Association of the Deaf, Howard Rosenblum. But I want to tell you, I've known him for several years And I will tell you this, he is the real deal. He is very committed to the deaf community. I even remember him telling me years ago about the terrible advice he received from vocational rehab when he was wanting to uh, move into his preferred career in law. Uh, And we could talk about that later on, but he's a fighter. He believed in himself, and now he's in this prestigious role. And it is just an honor to have him with us. Um, And it means so much, of course, to all of our listeners. So, Howard, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you, Joyce. Thanks for having me here uh, on the show today. I'm, I'm honored to be a guest of yours. Um, and I'm happy to uh, share some 
uh, important information with your community. I know people with disabilities have been really affected during this epidemic. Yes, they have. Well, Howard, since we have people listening, not only in the United States, but, you know, we are open captioned. So this is being captioned. So people around the world would be able to uh, hear it and or hear it later by reading the transcripts. Uh, How about if you share with our listeners your background and a little bit about your role at the National Association of the Deaf? Yeah, sure, Joyce. Uh, I would love to. Uh, So my name is Howard Rosenblum. I work as an attorney uh, and have been doing that for 28 years. Most of that time uh, was when I was living and working in Chicago. I worked at the beginning um, in 1992, um, right after the ADA coming out, working for a private firm. Uh, And so I focused on disability rights there. Then I moved to the Protection and Advocacy Center in Illinois uh, by the name of Equip for Equity. And uh, I worked there um, for a number of years for a total of 19 that I was uh, in Chicago. Then I accepted the role as the CEO and the Director of Legislative Services for the National Association of the Deaf in Washington, D.C. Really, it's in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, but just over the border in Maryland from the district. So that's been my role there. I focused on, I focused on the daily operations of staff, fundraising for the organization, and making sure that, I, that we can sue all the bad guys in our shop. Well, that's good. And I also remember something, Howard. I remember that when you wanted to pursue a career in law, that someone in VR told you to go in engineering or whatever. Isn't that right? Yeah, so actually what had happened uh, was that I knew that I couldn't go directly to law school, even though that was my dream and had been since I met a deaf lawyer when I was 12 um, and thinking that I should also become a deaf lawyer. Uh, So I went to my VR counselor and I told them that I wanted to become a lawyer. And they said, well, at first you have to get a BA or a BS degree from a college. Um, and they asked me what my major was going to be. And I said, I thought, no, I don't know. I could uh, maybe meld engineering with law at some point, and then I could go into intellectual property law by doing that. But So the, the VR counselor put that down on, on the form that they were filling out, and uh, once I got through college, I went back to the VR counselor, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready for law school. I have my degree. And the counselor said, um, no, it, it says you're already employable as an engineer, and that was your goal. Um, so because you've graduated, uh, our services are, are over. Um, I said, no, my, my goal was to be a lawyer. And they said, well, but you're employable, so you shouldn't go to, um, to law school. Um, luckily, I got a, a scholarship. You know, we could have sued the VR counselor, but I got a, a scholarship for law school, so I didn't have to them after all. That would have been a nice dream, huh? I'll never forget when you told me that story. And you told me that story years ago. And so for those of you listening to the show, uh, especially young people with disabilities or young people from the deaf community, I want you to remember that Howard did not let that stop him. And now here he is today 
as the CEO of NAD. Um, and so, for our listeners, what is the purpose of the National Association for the Deaf? And, you know, what are some of the main issues that you are working on? Yeah, uh, sure. Thanks for, for the opportunity to uh, explain a little bit about the organization. Uh, the National Association uh, of the Deaf was founded by four uh, deaf people in 1880. It's actually, uh, NAD is the oldest national civil rights organization in the U.S. because uh, of how old it is. Uh, it has been working since that time. Um, now, what is it, 140 years? Uh, wow. Four, yeah, and, and all of our work is focused on um, the rights of deaf people and access to education, employment, uh, civil rights, legal rights, uh, health care, mental health, access to everyday life. Um, and, and enjoying the things that everyone else can, uh, can enjoy. Uh, so you name it, if it touches deaf and hard of hearing people, we want to make sure that they have an equal place in American society. Well, um, that is wonderful. And you can go to, is it nad.org? What is your web site? Yeah, that's right, nad.org. Okay, so if you're listening to the show... And you're realizing, boy, isn't this a time we realize so many of these things we take for granted, you know, and yet how important they are. So sometimes in the hustle bustle of life prior to this, we didn't stop and think, oh, my goodness, thank goodness we have NAD. So nad.org, if you want to make a contribution, go to the website. So, Howard, one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you on today uh, is that many people from the deaf community do not have enough access to information when they are trying to learn more about the coronavirus or COVID-19. I wanted to know, can they go to your site to get information? Uh, and, And what should they do if they do not have ASL interpreters conveying information when they are, whether it's on the news, TV, no matter what it is. So, you know, like if you're watching TV and, oh my goodness, I've got to get this news, but there isn't an interpreter or you're, uh, it's anywhere. What, What do you do if you can't get that information? Yeah, so to answer your first question, uh, that is right. You can go to a specific page on nad.org. It's nad.org slash coronavirus. And we have information and resources there um, that is relevant to deaf people in the midst of this pandemic. From the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, we realized that a lot of press briefings across uh, America, specifically given by governors or healthcare officials, we're not being presented in American Sign Language. And so deaf people who use American Sign Language uh, were missing out on information. Some of those videos were captioned, uh, but 48% of um, the deaf uh, and hard of hearing community um, uses a, a different modality. Uh, there, there's a wide range of, of hearing levels, of language preferences, of ages within our community. And so we want to make sure that that information is available to all of them. 
for those who use American Sign Language as their primary language, uh, they might not use English as a, a language that they can access information through captioning. Others do prefer captions. And, and so there needs to be a range of ways that people can access this information. We were fortunate in order to mobilize our state affiliates uh, at NAD um, to encourage their governors uh, to provide ASL interpreters at press briefings. And we were very fortunate to uh, have some success. Within one week of starting that campaign, 48 governors uh, had interpreters at their press briefings. Um, one of them that did not was the state of New York. Governor Cuomo only had it during the webcast of that briefing. Uh, but now uh, we have all 50 governors, including Governor Cuomo, uh, including uh, press briefings with American Sign Language interpreters. In the case of New York State, the interpreter is actually in another room uh, and is put picture-in-picture, uh, picture, uh, fed you know, into the video in the round circle that you may have seen in some situations. But as I mentioned, that's only available on the webcast version of his, um, of his speeches, not uh, on anything that's broadcast on network television. So for any deaf people in the state of New York who do not have access to high-speed internet or don't have a computer and rely on over-the-air uh, television to access their information, they're unable to get the, um, the interpreter there. Uh, still to this day. And that's, that's, that's a shame. Uh, people should have access to that. The other 49 states do have interpreters available uh, on television uh, in addition to a web stream. And as we all know, the White House is still refusing to provide interpreters at their press conferences, stating that captioning is enough. Um, but unfortunately, it, that's, that's not at all true. We do have a sizable community who relies on information through American Sign Language and may not be able to understand the necessity of information like wearing face masks, social distancing, self-care through captions. And so we're putting these people at risk um, by denying them uh, access to information through American Sign Language, through an interpreter. And that's, that's a very important point for us to, to make. So we're doing our best. Uh, we're doing our best to make sure that ASL is visible on TV, that captioning is uh, available at all times, and that we can uh, be more successful um, at conveying this information, which we've been able to do at the local and state level. Uh, but at the federal level, it's been a little more difficult. We worked with the CDC over a course of about three weeks to get some of their content uh, provided in both captioning and ASL. Um, we uh, were able to get them to provide uh, uh, one hour of video with with high-quality ASL uh, interpretation. Um, but unfortunately, they were also using some interpreters that did not have the, the skills necessary to provide this level of information um, in its fullest. So we talked with our interlocutors over at the CDC to make sure that they were using certified deaf interpreters who are native users of the language in order to convey information accurately and to its fullest. So even with that... Uh, that work on, uh, on the part of the CDC, um, we found that it's actually difficult to find that information, to find those videos in ASL. So we're continuing to work with them uh, to try to, to put that information more prominently on their website. We want to make sure that all deaf Americans have full access to information that will keep them healthy and safe. So again, if you visit our website, nad.org slash coronavirus, that'll be a good jumping off point for some of this information. 
Uh, okay, thank you so much. I, I have to go back to something. Now, when you're watching on television, uh, Governor Cuomo, you know, giving his uh, presentation on TV, do you see that uh, interpreter at that time in that circle? No. No, you don't. Not, not on television. Uh, he doesn't allow the interpreter to be in the same room as him. So they're filming the interpreter in a second room. And because of that, the interpreter is on a separate feed and it's either, you know, superimposed or right next to each other. Um, But that's only available on the internet, only available on the internet live stream, not on broadcast television. Now, other governors have the same thing, but they're still showing it that way on television. So I don't know why New York isn't doing that. It makes sense. Yeah, well, that was my question is, do you have any idea why? Why, like, what was the reason they gave? Yep, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know what the, what the reason is, if there is one. Uh, we've, we've tried to reach out to them. Uh, at the beginning, they didn't want to provide interpreters at all. They were actually the, the last of the 50 states to provide interpreters for the governor's press briefings. Um, and, you know, and ironically, Governor Cuomo has been front and center of all the 50 states. Uh, but after some good pressure on the part of the NAD, we were able to get an interpreter, but only in the web stream. Uh, so we're still working with the governor's office to try to make this happen uh, and, and to try to bring some attention to this in, uh, in our community. Um, although, you know, we do, we do, of course, want to say thank you uh, to these governors for making this possible. We also want to mobilize our community to be sure that interpreters are visible at all webs, uh, at all the ways of, of getting this information. Well, if, you know, if you're living in New York and you are deaf, this would be a good time to contact the governor's office and say that, uh, and I love Governor Cuomo. I mean, I think he is awesome. Uh, but I want to make sure that everyone hears these wonderful things he's saying. So uh, it would be a good idea, you know, to reach out and, you know, let the office know that because Governor Cuomo is the vice chair right now of the National Governors Association. And that means that next year he will be the chair of the Governors Association. So, you know, this would be a, this would be a good, good time to uh, get in touch with him. Um, I think that it is so important for everyone to be included, and uh, my hats off to you, Howard, for the good work that NAD did. Uh, I I actually wondered why I did not see an interpreter at the White House. So I can see. I thought this was, I don't know, part of the ADA, but I guess the way someone could get around that is by saying captioning. I mean, I don't know. I thought that. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Uh, unfortunately, the ADA applies to specific categories of private or state or local governments. Um, so Title I of the ADA focuses on employment, and that includes uh, the private, state, or local governments. Uh, Title II talks about public programs provided by state and local governments, and Title III focuses on private businesses open to the public. Title IV focuses on telecommunications, and that's the extent of the ADA. So none of those titles actually apply to the federal government. 
we have to look at the Rehab Act of 1923. And the problem with the Rehab Act is that it applies um, to executive agencies. Um, so, like the Department of Education, the Department of Transportation, the FCC, the Department of, of Labor, um, they all have to follow the Rehab Act. But it actually does not apply to the White House. It doesn't apply to the Supreme Court. And previously, it didn't apply to Congress. Now, Congress did amend some of the language to say that those regulations did actually apply to them. But they are the only ones who have had that change. The White House and the Supreme Court actually have no law that governs the way that they have to interact with disability rights. So that's where we've been you know, at, at a crossroads with this. Um, we're still trying to do some research to see if there are ways that we could argue that, uh, that it needs to happen and to try to take some legal action, but we haven't found anything yet. Well, you know, hopefully, if we keep all working together, but see, that's why with this show, whether you're deaf, blind, or like me, have epilepsy, or use a wheelchair, or have a mental health disability, I don't care what it is, we all have to work together, because all of our brothers and sisters with disabilities, we all are one, so we all have to work together to make these things uh, happen, and, you know, I would really appreciate it, as I said, if you would support NAD and be behind them because you know what? It's hard to do that if you don't have any resources. So uh, I hope you'll take that uh, seriously when I say that. Now, Howard, another question that I have for you is, as you know, if someone uh, does have the virus and they do go to the hospital um, or if they go to the hospital for anything right now, they cannot have a person with them. And hopefully we will see that changing. But I wanted to ask you, does that include an interpreter? You know, are you allowed to have an interpreter with you or no? Are you just on your own? Yeah, that that has a big, that has been a big challenge right now. Um, What we first saw at the beginning of the pandemic was that people were being refused communication in a hospital uh, and deaf people weren't able to communicate with health professionals. Um, some of those professionals were wearing masks, and it might have been harder to communicate with, with them. Uh, and when they asked for an interpreter, some hospitals said no. Uh, no. No one other than doctors, nurses, or staff at the hospital can can be in the hospital with the patient. No family member, no interpreter, no one else but the patient. And so this created some very difficult situations that we were faced with. Of course, policy and best practice has said that you must always try to get an in-person interpreter in a hospital setting. And this has been because remote interpreting hasn't been reliable. Uh, up until now, that was best practice. There are There were some hospitals that were willing to allow interpreters into the hospital setting. Some of the problems there were that they weren't giving uh, interpreters personal protective equipment in order to keep themselves happy, because uh, healthy, because they weren't staff of the hospital. 
So they were at risk on their own going into a hospital, hospital setting. And of course, many interpreters were not willing to do this, and we don't blame them for that. That's, that's a huge risk on their own personal health. So knowing this, um, and, and knowing that there, I mean, th- there were a few hospitals that were providing PPE, but not many of them. So in light of this, we, uh, along with other organizations that serve deaf and hard of hearing people, uh, and some deaf doctors and their expertise, decided that because of the current situation and in order to maintain uh, the lowest risk environment for everyone involved involved, and still provide effective services for uh, deaf patients, that we would advocate for video remote interpreting, otherwise known as VRI, um, which is a way to provide interpreting services without an interpreter coming into uh, the hospital setting. We saw that uh, some hospitals didn't have enough beds and they put beds outside in tents um, or, um, uh, in the, or in the Javits Convention Center, as we saw in New York. Uh, so they were using uh, new locations and the, reli- the internet reliability in some of those locations was not great. Um, so we've been recommending to deaf and hard of hearing uh, people, and there is a, there's a paper that you can download on our website, again, at nad.org slash coronavirus. Um, We've provided this resource to deaf and hard of hearing people to take with them when they go to a hospital um, that they should uh, provide some recommendations to staff uh, in the best way to communicate. Obviously, we still advocate for personal protective equipment, um, but there are some other tools that people can use, like pen and paper. Um, Deaf people can have VRI apps downloaded onto their phones uh, before they arrive. They can download other technology like text-to-speech so that in this unprecedented time uh, where resources may be scarce, where Wi-Fi connections might not be strong, where plugs for chargers might not be immediately available, we can still provide some level of communication uh, and we can minimize the need for errors in communication as best as we can. So as I said, uh, this is in our policy guidelines and advocacy paper that we're making public on our website. It is important to emphasize that for deafblind people, um, they are still going to need an interpreter with them in the hospital. So the hospital should do whatever they can in order to make make sure that an interpreter can provide tactile ASL services for that deafblind person and that the interpreter is not at increased risk, but they have pers- personal protective equipment so that the deafblind person can remain in communication with the care staff and that interpreter should be available at all times. So we're really doing our, the best we can and our policy explains that, uh, as I mentioned, available on our website. Okay. Well, oh, that is awesome. So go to nad.org. I would really encourage you, if you're from the deaf community, this is very, very important because you may think, oh, I don't have to worry about it. I'm okay. But we all know that that can change so quickly. So make sure that you go read that. And with that, it's the half hour of the show. And on the half hour, we have our news break with our anchor person, Perry Jude Radisick from Pennsylvania Disability Rights of Pennsylvania. And Perry, are you with us, Perry Jude? 
I am Joyce. I'm um, here today and uh, happy to be on the show. We're always happy to have you. So, Joyce, uh, your listeners and special education advocates across the country have something to celebrate this afternoon. The U.S. Department of Education, the, the Secretary, Betsy DeVos, submitted a list of education waiver requests to the U.S. Congress. She did this because about 30 days ago, Congress passed one of the stimulus packages, and in it, Congress said to the Secretary, you know, come to us if you have any requests related to education, and then ask us before you do anything and the, uh, regarding waiver requests in education, and then Congress will decide whether uh, there are any waivers that get made in, in education. So Secretary DeVos did that to yesterday. She submitted these waiver requests to Congress. However, the Secretary did not request a waiver to critical components of IDEA. That's Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act. So Secretary DeVos specifically declined to recommend to Congress to waive these components least restrictive environment, and free and appropriate public education. So this is great news. Many advocates in the disability community were pressing the secretary to not do that. And she made a strongly worded statement. We have a copy on our website at disabilityrightspa.org, so you can read the secretary's press release. She stated that there is no reason for Congress to waive any provision designed to keep students uh, from learning and that the nation's educators and schools have to continue to faithfully educate every one of its students. Again, if you go to disabilityrightspa.org, you can see a copy of the secretary's uh, press release. So again, yesterday was the deadline. We also have a copy of the whole waiver. It's about 18 pages uh, that she sent to Congress. Now, on the, on the other hand, where we still have some work to do, is that Secretary DeVos is recommending that Congress set aside uh, the 15% uh, that OVR has to spend on pre-employment transition services. Now, I know we talked about this on your show the other week. So we believe that if students are still supposed to be learning, still receiving a free and appropriate public education, then students should have access to pre-employment transition services. So we really don't understand, and we think it's a little inconsistent to say that students are still learning, but then OVR isn't supposed to be spending its whole 15% on pre-employment transition services. We think there's a disconnect there. So Secretary DeVos agreed with those 97 OVR agencies, including the one in Pennsylvania. Now, so what are we going to do about this? Well, uh, we're going to ask uh, Advocacy Matters. So first we have to go to Congress and tell them not to approve that waiver request for OVR agencies. That's one thing we have to do. The second thing is we have to get out the word to tell parents You should still be requesting pre-employment transition services through OVR and make sure your IEPs are still implemented. 
School districts have to pay for the IEP uh, pre-employment transition services, and then you can still go to OVR for pre-employment transition services. So keep asking. Then organizations like Disability Rights Pennsylvania and others across the country have to continue to meet with OVR and insist that they fully implement WIOA and pre-employment transition services for this program. So that's a short outline of what we still have to do related to OVR and youth in transition. But there still is good news related to IDEA out of the Secretary of Education uh, as of yesterday, and we've got all of that on our website at disabilityrightspa.org. You know what, Perry, Jude, that is such great news. That's wonderful. It really is. So, uh, and congratulations to you and to all the disability rights leaders that really fought for that. Here's the whole point of Advocacy Matters right here. And now that leads me to a question about the second thing you talked about. Uh, Actually, two questions. First, who originally made this decision? Uh, I mean, did OVR make that? Who made that decision to sort of set aside that 15% of funding? Well, we know it was, I'm still trying to get a hold of a copy of that letter. But we know that 97 OVR agencies signed on to that letter, and our director in Pennsylvania, Shannon Austin, agreed to sign that letter. So we're still trying to get a copy of that letter and get a response and track that down. So I don't have an answer for you where this was initiated uh, uh, to set this money aside. Uh, I don't know, Joyce. Uh, I don't have an answer. Oh, that is sad. Okay. Uh, My second question is, wouldn't all of the uh, parent groups across the country, whether it's autism or any group, don't you think parent groups would be really upset about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because their child has a right to pre-employment transition services. Absolutely they do. Under the WIOA law that was passed by Congress. And because so if their student has, has, a, has, has the ability to get a free and appropriate public education through COVID-19, then OVR should have access to those students. And what we're hearing from OVR is that they're ha- they don't have access to the students. Well, if schools have access to the students, OVR should be able to access those students. So there's just a disconnect here. And, I, and, and so we're just trying to get to the bottom of this. Well, I would uh, say this. Parents of children with disabilities are always on fire about things like this. So if everyone can figure out how to get this news out to all those groups, you will see a march like you have never seen before. Uh, so Perry and Jude and everyone, keep that in mind. And everyone listening to the show, let's get that news out. And uh, Perry, Jude, thank you so much. Uh, and our, your website again, Perry, Jude? Yes, it's disabilityrightspa.org. And you can find the great news about IDEA today 
the strong language from the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, on IDEA, and then other information about OVR on today's show. Oh, that is awesome. And Perry Jude, thank you so much. We get so many compliments about you and this news we're bringing to everyone. So uh, keep up with the great job. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Sure. Talk to you later. Okay. Wow, that is news. That is incredible news for us. Um, Okay. Well, Howard, I bet you're surprised to hear all that. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, I'm excited to know that there was no waiver requested uh, for IEPs and free and public education. Uh, I'll have to look at that OVR part, though, um, just to to make sure that we'll, we'll have to make sure her recommendation is not approved. Yeah, I know. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, we've got to look into that. And everyone, go to that website, uh, disabilityrightspa.org, because you'll be able to read all of it. It's all going to be on there. So, you know, go check that out. But, uh, Howard, getting back to what you were talking to earlier uh, about all the things that people uh, who are deaf need during this uh, COVID ordeal when they go to the uh, hospital, are you advising then people to have prepared some type of uh, bag with pens, papers, names of family members, chargers for their phones? Do you suggest that to people? Yeah, uh, that's, that's what we are recommending right now in our, our guidance and policy paper. Uh, that that people do have something ready. We know that during normal times, hospitals are able to provide things like that. Uh, They're they're pretty good at communication access. Um, Relying on hospital professionals when they're trying to figure out this very different situation um, is is, is not something we can really do right now. And so we want to make sure that um, everyone is prepared um, that they're able to advocate for their communication needs however they can, that they bring technology with them, um, download it with any software that they know helps them, um, and then bring old technology like pens and papers. Uh, put it all in a bag. Put a charger for your, your devices in the bag so that you can be ready when you get into a healthcare setting. Chances are other people who are going to a hospital with COVID-19 are going to be in a unit or a room um, by themselves for a long time. Uh, That's the unfortunate truth. And so for a deaf person without any way to communicate with anyone, uh, it can be very isolating. So we want to make sure that deaf people are prepared with anything that will help them communicate, not only with staff, but to keep in touch with their family outside of the hospital setting. That's that's very important, and we need to be able to protect ourselves and not necessarily rely on hospital staff to provide that for us during this time. Yes, agreed. Well, that's why everyone should go to your website at nad.org to get the and, and then go to coronavirus to get the information uh, that you have for them because I, I do think it's so important. One of the things I saw that you're working on, uh, Howard, at NAD is the 911 situation where the difficulties for a deaf person trying to reach 911. And I wanted to ask you, where are you on that? What's happening in that area? 
Yeah, so uh, this has been happening for the last few years. In fact, if you call 911, most people will use a regular phone to, to call 911. Deaf people generally need to call 911 either through a relay service, um, so they can use a video phone and use American Sign Language um, to connect to an interpreter who then relays the message uh, to 911. That can cause a delay and also some confusion because the relay interpreter can be in a different state than deaf person is, um, and, and so there might not be the same contextual information from the source um, as there would be uh, normally, and they might not be familiar with the locale um, where to find the deaf person if they're in an emergency situation. So relay can be pro- problematic. We've been pushing for quite a while to develop text to 911 programs in jurisdictions all over the United States. And these aren't beneficial only for deaf people. They're beneficial for everyone. The FCC approved um, having uh, allowing all phone carriers to provide text to 911 services. Um, however, the dispatch centers, the, the places that receive your phone calls um, when you call 911, were not ready for this. Only 15% of 911 call centers in the country were ready to receive text messages and to respond to them. The other 85% uh, were not ready. So uh, it, it, of course, takes time to uh, upgrade technology and, and money to do that as well. So we've been pushing for jurisdictions to do this. In the state of Arizona, we actually at NAD teamed with the um, advocacy and protection organization in, uh, in Arizona uh, and another organization to sue the state of Arizona as it pertains to getting text to 911 services in that state. And they've actually required that now on a statewide basis. Of course, that's not quite ready yet, but progress is being made. We found out recently um, uh, that the number of people calling 911 through text message, so not through uh, dialing a phone number, but through texting 911, has actually gone up uh, significantly in the last little while. And there are several reasons for this. People who have COVID-19 are uh, sometimes unable to breathe. And because they're unable to breathe, they're not able to speak clearly. And so using a voice call uh, would not be helpful for them, so they're able to text 911 instead to describe their symptoms. Secondly, we're seeing uh, people who are in uh, abusive situations or in situations of domestic violence where their oppressor is at home with them and because they're all um, stuck at home together now, um, it, it is very sensitive for uh, the, uh, the person in the situation to try to call for help. And so we're seeing an increase in calls related to uh, domestic violence uh, through text to 911 services. So this is yet another reason that technology that can benefit the deaf community um, can benefit everyone else as well. And we encourage everyone who sees benefit in that um, to use text to 911 and to make sure that it's available in their local jurisdiction. You know, that is, that is awesome. That's wonderful. And what you said is so true. How often these uh, accommodations, for example, for people who are deaf, 
you know, make life so much easier for everyone. Of course, the most opposite, uh, obvious being captioning, because there isn't one restaurant bar you would go in where you won't see if there's sports on the captioning, you know, with the TV turned down uh, and, you know, TV, everything. So it's amazing how many of these things are from the disability community. Well, with that, we're going to go to break. We have been talking today to the CEO of uh, NAD, the National Association of the Deaf, Howard Rosenblum, to provide information to you about the great work NAD is doing and to give you guidance of the obstacles you could be dealing with during the COVID uh, pandemic that we're dealing with. We're going to go to break, and then we'll be back to close the show. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Howard. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. We have had a fabulous guest today, Howard Rosenblum, the CEO of the National Association of the Deaf. And if you were listening to this show and you're thinking, 
oh, I wish this other person had heard this, or I wish I, I could have told my friend about this show. Here's what you do. You go to Spotify or Apple and subscribe to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com, and you can get all of the shows, including knowing what the upcoming shows will be. So this show is on demand. If you just go to Apple or Spotify, you can get this show and hear the show. So make sure you share that with others. Actually, more people listen to on demand than you could possibly envision that you know than than live because of people's work schedule and what they have going on. So we have a great listening audience both ways, live and on demand. Don't forget Spotify or Apple voiceamerica.com, Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. So, Howard, um, it has been such a pleasure having you as our guest today. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a couple last things. One, one thing I didn't get to ask you, you know, you're such a great advocate and so inspirational and uh, you have accomplished so much. Did, did you have a role model in your life, someone that really impacted you to, you know, make you realize, hey, I'm equal to anyone else. I, I have the same rights as anyone else and go on to achieve these goals. Yeah, I'll start with my parents. Um, my, my parents, when they realized that I was deaf, I, I was too um, uh, I became deaf through uh, about with meningitis. And so through that sickness, I, I lost my hearing. I had zero left. Uh, and my parents were trying to figure out what to do. Um, th- they always told me that I could do anyone, uh, that I could do anything. My mother was such a great person, and she would preach that at me all the time. And she encouraged me to become a doctor or a lawyer. So I suppose that's where I got some of that from. Um, I I did meet one of the first deaf lawyers in the United States who had been living in Chicago at the time. He was giving a presentation about his work, and my mother realized that it was going to be on and said that we had to go. At first, I was like, Mom, I don't want to do this. I want to stay home and watch TV. But she, she told me, nope, we're going to watch this presentation. And the presentation really... It, it really stuck with me. I think that was the moment that I realized that deaf people could do anything they put their minds to. He had broken such barriers by doing what he, what he did, and it made me realize that I could do that too. Um, and he was talking about his work, um, suing different people for violating our civil rights, and I, I was so inspired. If that's what I want to do. I want to sue abled people for oppressing us, people with disabilities. And that's, of course, you know, what, the, what my, my dream was, and that dream became true. Um, that lawyer uh, was Lowell uh, Myers, if, if you know of him. He's, he's, he's gone from us now. Um, but he is the person who inspired me to become the lawyer that I am. Um, he, he made me realize the... Um, the importance of uh, sticking through it. And so uh, through the NAD, um, we've been able to show deaf people 
um, that they can get jobs in different careers. We have videos of deaf people who describe their work experience uh, in, in different business lines, and we are hoping that that will inspire deaf children and deaf young adults to be able to do the same types of things, that they might want to go into that career field, uh, and to open the possibilities for them rather than having somebody convince them that they're limited to a small number uh, of fields with their lives. That is awesome. What a great story that is. I can see the great impact your mother had on you. That, that, that is amazing. Well, Howard, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? I, uh, I want to remind everyone that our website, nad.org slash coronavirus, has uh, and will continue to have uh, a number of resources uh, that's guidance information, uh, videos, information for deaf and hard of hearing people in accessible formats, um, hospitals, uh, resources for hospitals, uh, resources for telehealth uh, access, uh, resources for K-12 mainstream education for deaf children to make sure that they're getting an equal uh, education through distance learning uh, and other resources. Um, we are in the process of getting uh, university-level resources for deaf and hard-of-hearing students who can't or don't go to universities like uh, Gallaudet, NTID, or CSUN, where programs are offered in sign language, uh, but are instead accessing university-level education um, through interpreters. So we also will be developing a best practice paper about employment. We know that a lot of employment meetings are becoming remote, or uh, if they're at the workplace, people are wearing masks, and that may um, limit communication for some deaf people. Uh, We know that there is still some uh, courtroom access that needs to be addressed. Uh, Many courts are operating in a remote fashion, but deaf and hard of hearing people are still importantly part of these uh, these court uh, cases. Wow, wow, wow. You're doing so much. You're doing so much. It's awesome. Except we're at the end of the show. We're trying to save everybody. Yeah, we're at the end of the show. We want Um, everyone to stay safe and healthy. Yeah, oh, yeah, stay stay safe and healthy is right. Uh, Thank you so much, Howard. Hey, we end every show with a quote. And the quote today is, crisis, don't make heroes, they unveil them to our eyes, said Mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Bottoms. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with disability rights leader, Karen Tamley. Stay safe. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.